0: Hey, this is Lee Snow, the preacher for the Warm Springs Road Church of Christ here in Columbus, Georgia, and you have found our podcast. We hope that this message inspires you, that it equips you, and that it builds your faith in Jesus Christ like never before. If you have any questions or you want to tell us your story, we'd love to hear from you. Please feel free to reach out at any time. We are here for you. We're here for each other. Most importantly, we're here for the Lord.
1: Any day of door knocking is a great day because in essence, all we're doing is we're going out to other people and we're letting them know about the Lord that we love to see if they would have interest in learning more about Him. Some of the best friends that my wife and I have are friends that we have met through door knocking. One particular young lady, the only reason she answered the door was she thought that we were the pizza delivery people. Obviously we weren't, but here we are 10 years later and we love her like a daughter. Oftentimes when we go to someone's door uninvited, they really don't have interest, and at that point in time they don't even have interest in the Lord. But if we plant the seed and we begin the relationship, sometime in their life, it may be after the birth of a baby, it may be after a funeral, it may be after an emergency room visit, or something of that nature, they may wake up one day and say, I want to know more about God. I want to go to church. And here's the big question. Where are they going to go? Have you planted that seed? Has your church, your congregation, gone out into the community and served them? Have you invited them so that when they say, I want to attend church this Sunday, they think of you. People cannot visit a church they do not know exist. It's important that we plant that seed. I think about when my son was 15 years old. He knocked on a door. He invited the lady to an event we were having. And then he asked, Would you like to study the Bible? She motioned back to her coffee table that had an open Bible on it. And she said, You know, I've been studying the Bible for two weeks now. I've been reading in in a book called John. And she said, I don't understand anything I'm reading. I've been praying now for several days that God would send me someone to help me understand the Bible. So yes, I'll study the Bible with you because I'm assuming you're the answer to the prayers that I've been praying. Isn't it amazing how in your city there's someone right now searching for the Lord? The question is, can we find them so ultimately they can find the Lord? Any day, door knocking is a great day because it gives us the opportunity to help someone find their Lord.
0: That's one reason why we're going to be door knocking. The question is, well, what happens if no one comes? What happens if we knock a couple hundred doors or maybe we knock a couple thousand doors and no one comes to services? Well, that's not the point. The point is, The point is to plant the seed in the hearts of people. I'll tell you this. um, I've been preaching now for 10 years. And in those 10 years, I've preached somewhere around 13,000 times. Spoke or taught or preached about 13,000 times. Those 13,000 times, the number of times that people have actually responded during the invitation after I got done teaching is relatively few. That does, does that mean I should stop teaching or preaching? Obviously not. The same concept goes for door knocking. If we knock 2,000 doors on October 5th and no one comes to worship services the next day, that's okay. So we've done our job. The interesting thing is on the day of Pentecost, there were, there were 3,000 people that were saved, but estimates are, are on the low end that there were somewhere around 5 million people in Jerusalem for Pentecost on the day of Pentecost, and only 3,000 of them were saved. So it's just a matter of perspective, really. All right, let's jump into Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3, as we've been going through um, the book, of course, is uh, not only the next passage that we come to, but it's also one that I think it, it, it reaches out from the context of the book of Galatians a little bit and i 'll go ahead and tell you, um, I really had a tough time trying to figure out how I was going to outline this passage because uh, the fact of the matter is there's there 's no tricky, neat you know preacher way to make it to make it flow together. It just flows by itself it's just it 's just a statement galatians three ten through fourteen it 's just a statement that that Paul makes that is so clear, there's relatively uh, nothing to add to it. There's, there's not a lot of commentary that can be done. But nonetheless, we're, we are going to make a few points as we go through it. But let's read it. Galatians chapter 3, verse number 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Those are the the commandments in the law. Verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Now, I have a question I want to ask you, and I just want you to think about this. Are you a detail-oriented type of person, or are you more of the type of person that, that can kind of go with the flow and can, can can think through things as you go? I'm I'm the first. I prefer to have the plans laid out long before we ever get there. And... That personality is the personality that is is the issue in Galatians. It's this idea of false assurances. This idea that that the Galatians, the people rather, that were coming to Galatia that were teaching this, this idea that you have to be circumcised in order to follow God, that comes from this idea that, that I want everything nailed down before I ever start. I want to make sure that I know where things are going before I get started. And I want a, a set in stone con I am. And it's much the same question that we talked about in Bible class, in Bible study this morning, the, the idea of giving. We want, people want a, I have to give this amount of money. And the fact of the matter is, is that God has left it up to the maturity of the individual to decide, and and he's given us the tools to know that, one, we're more mature than we think we are, and two, that even if we don't have money to give, there is still a standard of giving that we need to meet, even if it's not monetarily. But nonetheless, this idea of false assurances, they wanted something that said, if I'm blank, then I'm saved. If I'm circumcised, then I'm saved. Bring it into the, first, the 21st century in 2019, we want to be able to know, if I go to church, then I'm saved. If I am baptized, then I'm saved. If I give 10%, then I'm saved. If I take the Lord's Supper, then I'm saved. It's the same concept. It's this idea of false assurances. And, and the fact of the matter is, is that Galatians 3 10 through 14 makes it pretty clear that it's not, the the Christian walk is not about a, a, a marching point of assurances that t- show us where we are, but it's all about self-reflection. It's all about submission. It's all about the things that we've been talking over the last uh, few weeks. So, I'm just going to talk about this passage as we go through it, and like I said, there aren't really fancy points or sermon point titles or anything like that. We're just going to read the passage and talk about it as we go. And I broke it down into the four things that he talks about in this passage. So let's just dive in. Number one, the curse of the law from verse number 10. This is verse 10. It says this, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide in all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23, when Jesus is talking about the judgment day, he says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? What are those? Those are those false assurances that we talked about, right? Didn't we do this? Didn't we prophesied, didn't we cast out mighty works in your name? We, We had the assurances. We had the concrete steps. And Jesus says, and I'll tell them on the day of judgment, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Because they're living under that old law. And the old law is, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law. You see, Jesus in Matthew 7 is is giving the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament there. He's saying, you've grown up with this concept that, well, look at the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. You've grown up with this concept that as long as I don't kill someone, as long as I don't murder someone, I'm good to go. And Jesus says, "That's that's not the New Testament. The new covenant that I'm making with you is that the way you think whether or not you've already killed them in your mind. Well, as long as I don't commit adultery, then I'm good. And Jesus says, if you've even lusted after a woman, you, your heart is in the same place as if you had done... See, the New Testament, the, the new covenant that Jesus was bringing about, that He's instituting or that he's, he's rather teaching about and bringing them to in the Sermon on the Mount, is not bound by assurances. It's not bound by concrete do today we turn the old testament law into into the new testament law we turn the new testament into the old testament and we we say well you know so and so i know i know he's a bad guy but you know he was baptized a long time ago and and i do the same thing we, we make the same statements was he a member of the church well he was baptized well, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's a member of the church, now does it? There are a lot of people who have been immersed in water for the forgiveness of their sins that have left the church. And what Paul is trying to get across is this idea that, that if, we, if we go by a assurance-based religion, what we're doing is we're turning Jesus into the Old Testament. And the Old Testament worked for them... Because that's what they were supposed to be following. But what would happen? What would happen if the Old Testament Jews had decided, you know, this checklist type religion is way too hard for us? I say we go back to the patriarchal system. I say we start living by the way that Abraham lived. Doesn't that sound better? I mean, for, for what we know, the only commands, outright commands in religious action that Abraham had was to offer a sacrifice. So as long as we offer our sacrifice, then we're good and we don't have to worry about You see the, see the concept there? If you take the law that you're living under and you try to form it into the one that came before you, what you're doing is, is you're trying to, to morph things into what they were never meant to be in the first place. Now, God commands perfection when it comes to the Old Testament law. Read it again. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Everyone who doesn't do all things, he commands, he he requires absolute perfection In the Old Testament, and someone will say, "Well, then that means that no person was justified." Well, that's what Paul says later on—that it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. But there were people. That's a—that's a statement when when he's talking about those people under the old law. That's a—that's a hyperbole, as it were, and he says seems as though no one would be able to be justified, but the fact of the matter is, is that there were people. In fact, Romans chapter 2, verse number 13 says this, For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles do not have the law, by long-standing practice do what the law requires. They're a law to themselves. They, they don't have the, the Old Testament scrolls in their hands. The Gentiles didn't. But they were still supposed to be following the law of God. They were still supposed to they were still amenable, as, as the word is, to the law of Moses. And he says, even though they don't have the law in their hands, if they do what the law says, then they've then they've done what's right. They become a law to themselves. Because it shows that the work of the law was written on their hearts. And what Romans 2, 13 through 16 says is Gentiles could follow the Old Testament. And some Jew says, well, I can't follow. We can't follow God's laws, regardless of whether they're Old Testament or New Testament. We can't, they're too hard for us. We, we have to have God make us do something. And Paul says, Romans 2, well, the Gentiles could do it. So why can't you? Galatians chapter 3, he says, I know it's hard. I know that the, the curse is that if you don't follow all that's written in all of the law, then, then you, you haven't followed the law itself. But then at the same time, Philippians chapter 3 says that Paul did exactly that. As to zeal a persecuted Christian. He says, Well, if you had a question about zeal, listen, I was the most zealous Jew that ever lived. I put y'all in prison. I killed you if I could. I did everything I could to make sure that the old law was kept. As to zeal, here's the evidence. I was a persecutor of the church. Of course I was zealous. As to the righteousness under the law, blameless. Now wait a second. Galatians 3 says that if you follow all of the law except for one thing, then, then you're guilty of the entire law. And Paul says, I was blameless when it came to the law. So how is that possible? In one book, he says you can't follow everything. In the next one, he says you can. Well, in Galatians, he never said you couldn't. He says if you missed it. If you missed one, you were guilty of everything. And then in Philippians, he says, I didn't miss one. I was blameless in the eyes of the law of Moses. Moses. But that's not what they're doing in Galatia. What they're doing in Galatia is picking a single one out, circumcision, and saying, as long as we do this, we're good. I wonder if that goes to the New Testament. It, it, does, it, does it equate to the New Testament law, the law of Jesus Christ, the law of, of, of perfection, James says? Does it equate to the New Testament law if we, if we do one, but we miss this one, does it equate? Well, that's what he goes on to talk about in the rest of the passage. But first, we need to talk about verses 12 and, uh, 11 and 12, which is the righteousness of faith. So, since we, we are under this question of can a person follow the law of Jesus Christ, the New Testament, the New Covenant, whatever you want to call it, the, the, the law of liberty... Whatever you want to call it. Can can Jesus, can a person follow Jesus and miss one thing? Can that person still be saved? Well, Galatians 3.11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before, the, before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. For the law was not from faith. Not of faith. It's not from faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. I like this translation uh, here, verse 11. The one who by faith is righteous will live. The the righteous shall live by faith. This translation says, the one who by faith is righteous. So what he's saying is, it's changed now. The Old Testament, you had to do everything perfectly. New Testament, it's not the same. New Testament, you have this, this, Righteous life that comes because of faith. The Old Testament was not from faith. The Old Testament had very little to do with, with your acknowledgement of God's existence, or the Old Testament had very little to do with your acknowledgement of, of God's sovereignty or God's providence or anything else. It was just you do this list. In the New Testament. It's all about your mindset. It's all about where you are in your mentality toward what you're doing. If you're you're saying, if you're believing that you're saved because you have this concrete step done, Paul says you're not living by faith. Romans 10 and verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. Matthew 5, 17 through 20. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law. So Romans, you need to live by them. If you're going to do them, you're going to live by them. Matthew 5, do not think that I've come to abolish them, the law or the prophets. I, I haven't come to abolish them. I've come to fulfill them. I've come to, to show you the, what they were meant to do in the first place, which is what we'll talk about when we go in deeper into Galatians 3 next week. I've not come to abolish them, I've come to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota or a dot. Your translation may say a jot or a tittle. Uh, when you think about those, I want, I want you to think about this, okay? Um, think about the cross mark on a T, okay? Or the dot on an I. Those are, those are the, the English equivalents to a jot or a tittle or, or an iota or a dot, whatever you want to call it. He says, those words that were written under the law, not a single letter is going to go away. I've not come to throw Moses in the trash. I've come to show you that what Moses was doing meant something, but now you're on to something much, much greater. I've not come to do this. For I tell you, verse 20, unless your righteousness, okay, so we're trying to figure out how to be righteous because Galatians 3.11, we need to live a life of righteousness that comes from faith. Jesus says, unless your righteousness, now righteousness is what you do because of what God said. Okay? So the difference between religion and and righteousness is religion is what you do because of what you believe okay so if any, if anyone ever tells you well i you know i'm a, i'm a big follower of jesus but i'm not into religion you ever heard that before that that jesus is greater than religion or that i'm sick of religion religion based on the the bible's definition in james chapter 1 religion is what you do because of what you believe i believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of mankind. And so I will do anything to make sure that everyone knows about Jesus Christ, that I have a possibility to tell them about Jesus Christ. That's my religion. In James, he says, pure religion is to keep yourself unspotted and to help people that are in need. Because you know that God's personality is, is the same. I need to keep myself clean because of who God is, and I need to help others because of who God is. Religion is what you do because of what you believe. Righteousness is what you do because of what God said. Now, there's a slight difference there. Religion, I believe it. Righteousness is how do I do it, okay? Religion is... I'm willing to show everyone who Jesus Christ is because I believe that He's the Savior of mankind. That's my religion. I, I'm, I'm willing to keep myself unclean, or clean because of I know that God wants me to do that. I believe Him. I, I, my religion is I'm willing to help the fatherless and the widows because of I know who God is and I know that that's His personality. And righteousness is now how do I do that? How do I get my religion done because of what I believe? well, it's whatever he told me to do. See, he's, he's given me my religion because of what I believe. And now he's given me the words that teach me how to act righteous, how to act right, okay? So, Jesus says, unless your righteousness, what you do because of what God said, exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, I just want to point out If we're going to try to measure up on who can follow a set of laws more closely, me or the scribes and the Pharisees, I'm going to be honest and tell you that the scribes and the Pharisees are going to win. Okay? You ever written the name of God on a piece of paper? Have you ever done that? Take out your your, your bulletin and on the back in the sermon notes write the word God. Now, the way that they would have done that, because they knew how much God was, how important God was, they would have gone and taken a bath. They would have changed their clothes. They would have gone outside into the foyer and got a new pen, got a new piece of paper, written the name of God, then gone, thrown that pen away, gone and taken another bath, and changed their clothes again. Matthew 5, he says, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you, you don't have what it takes. Because they're better than you at following a set of commands. They will always be. But the new righteousness is not just about following a set of commands. Galatians 3.11 Those who by faith live righteously. So my faith fills in the gaps when my actions fall short. And What Paul is trying to say is you are taking the law of faith, this idea that that has ways in which you are forgiven even if you stumble in this step or in this step. And you're changing it into what, one, what it was never meant to be, and two, you're changing it into something that that you can't do, relatively speaking. You see, the New Testament makes it very clear that God wants every single person on the face of the earth to obey the gospel. In fact, the old restoration preachers used to believe that Jesus would not come back until every person on the face of the earth obeyed the gospel. I I don't think they had that right, but the sentiment is there. The sentiment is very real, and I think that that they were on to something in their thinking. Their thinking was, God is is loving and graceful and caring and compassionate to all mankind. And in the old law... He set up a law that that very few could actually do completely and never stumble. But in the New Testament, He gives us the means to to be okay when we stumble. He gives us the the way in which now we're forgiven when we stumble. And that, that answer comes in verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law... By becoming a curse for us. Now, the word curse means something or someone that's, that would be spoken evil of, okay? So don't think that what Galatians 3 is saying is that Jesus became somehow like the chief of sinners, as some people would say. What he's saying is Jesus submitted himself so forth so that we could be forgiven of the big curse, this curse of the law, this curse that, that what happens when I do fail? What happens when I do stumble? What happens when I do miss this point or that point? The answer is, he, to wordplay, he became a curse to take care of our big curse. He was willing to be ridiculed and hated and treated the way he was on that cross so that you and I could get rid of this, this, this dread of what happens when I fail. And then verse 14 says this. Jesus Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, verse 13, by becoming a curse for us because He was hung on a tree, verse 14, so that in Christ the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Now, in verse 14, He uses the Spirit, which is which is a... It, the the big word is is called a synectiky just means it's it's a he, he uses one part for the whole and he uses the part the spirit which is I, I believe speaking of miraculous abilities and he says he came to give us the miraculous abilities well that's not all that he came to do right but that's the one thing that sticks out in everybody's mind when they're thinking about salvation in, in, in the New Testament. Every time the apostles are around, it seems as though there's a miracle happening. Every time Jesus has, has a problem, it seems as though there's a miracle that happens. And so he uses that to speak of the whole. And he says, Jesus came to, to save us from our curse because he became a curse. So that in him, we can have this blessing that Abraham was promised. That everyone is going to be able to do what God wants them to do. That You're not going to have to worry about this small group of people that has the law and they don't let anybody else read it. And you're not going to have to worry about this checklist of commands that, that only very, 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 very few can actually follow. You're, you're going to have this promise. And this promise is that everyone is going to have a chance to be, re, to be received receive this promised salvation because of their faith so here's the question what happens when i stumble what happens when i know there's a law a command that god has given me what happens when i know that i have the responsibility to evangelize and to teach the world the gospel and i decide that that's not my job and so I fail in that instance. What happens when I have this thing that God has commanded me to do and I stumble because I don't remember that He said to do it? Or I never knew? It's this idea of faith. John would say it like this, 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. If we walk in the light as He is the light, we walk in Him. That fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ continually cleanses us from all sin. What is walking in the light is He is in the light. That's having faith. that's, That's a life that is led by faith. Now, is a life that's led by faith just something that you acknowledge and say, yeah, God's real? No, you're living a life that's led by that reality in your mind. God's existence and God's salvation and God's sacrifice for you is real. You acknowledge that it's real. And now you have a life that you can show that shows that it's real without you having to ever say a word. And he says, if you have that kind of life, then you don't have to worry about the curse of the law anymore. But if, but if you're trying to make these assurances, these concrete stepping stones... You're not living a life by faith. You're not going to heaven because you were baptized. You're not going to heaven because you came to church on September twenty 2019. You're not going to heaven because you gave two dollars in the plate this morning. You did all of that because you know of who God is. And that's why you're going to heaven. Because you have a faith that changes the way it is lived. And when your life misses a point, your faith shows God that you really did mess up. And the beauty of having Jesus as our advocate, John 1 says, is that he's been there. The reason why he needed to live a life as a man and never sin is so that, so that when he became our advocate, when he became the one that's going to tell the Father, listen, I understand. I understand that they messed up. But let me tell you how it's like being in that situation. That's why 1 Corinthians says, if you think that you're standing alone facing a sin, if you're looking at a sin and you think, this is, I'm the only person that's ever experienced this hardship before in my life. I'm the only person that's ever experienced this temptation in my life, or in life, in the history of the world. I'm the only person that's done it. It says, if you think you stand alone, you need to, you need to pay attention because you're going to fall, because you aren't standing alone. Jesus has been right there. Well, Jesus never had to deal with the temptation of blank. Maybe not that exact temptation, but he knows what it's like to be tempted. And all of us know what it's like to be tempted. We may not have been tempted to the level of some, but I think, this is just Lee talking, the temptation of being on a cross and looking at your creation about to kill you and you not doing something trumps any temptation that I've ever been in in my entire life. The temptation to give in to this sinful desire is not as big as the temptation to destroy all of creation because you're tired of dealing with them, right? His temptations were greater than ours, so we don't stand alone. We live this life that's that's led by faith, so we don't have to worry about the curse of that law anymore unless we're trying to put ourselves back into that law, which doesn't make sense in the first place. If you need to become a Christian, this morning, listen, listen to me very clearly. Um, you, need to, you need to live a life by faith if you're going to do this. You're not just being baptized just to do it. I can, I can make you a list of 20 people over the last 10 years that have obeyed the gospel just because they thought that they had to do it. Not because they knew anything. Not because it meant anything to them. They just thought it was time. Kids that grew up and they hit 13 and everybody else is baptized, so I guess I should do it. College students who all their friends are baptized, so they guess they should do it. Adults who who think, well, you know, I guess I need to go to church. And the preacher keeps talking about baptism, so I guess I need to do that. Never meant anything to them. If you're not baptized because of your life of faith, You've, you've missed the point of it completely. But if you're ready to do that, then we're ready to help you. We'll baptize you today and you can, you can start your walk with Jesus Christ and you can start living that life that's led by faith. Not having to worry about the curse of the law. Not having to worry about what happens if I mess up here or mess up here. As long as I'm living a life that's led by faith, I have the continual cleansing of Jesus Christ. As we stand and sing, think about that. And if you need to respond, you can let us know while we do that.